Good evening. All right, one more time. There we go. Good evening. We are attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, you don't have it in front of you, but you're doing pretty good. One more time. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's our privilege this evening to have a guest speaker. His name is Dr. Chuck Milhoff. I want to introduce him and then I have a prayer request to share with you before we begin. Uh, Dr. Milhoff was called to evangelism when he was seven years old. And he's been saying yes ever since. He has ministered literally around the world for the gospel. Uh, he is a friend of Nazarene Bible College and happened to be here uh, yesterday for the golf tournament. Um, did anybody win? Gary? Somebody, was it you? Oh, he's shaking his head. Oh, okay. This is, uh, for those of you who don't know, Gary, I need you to stand up just for a second. This is Dr. Gary Haynes, who is also a tenured evangelist in the Church of Nazarene. Lots of new students here who haven't met you before. He was responsible for coordinating, coordinating, it's easy for me to say, coordinating the uh, uh, golf tournament yesterday. It raises funds for the scholarship, student scholarships for Nazarene Bible College. Over 120 golfers, correct? 127 golfers, about $15,000, right, right in there. So. And when Dr. Dr. Haynes let me know that Dr. Milhoff was going to be in town, uh, we, wanted, we wanted you to be here, so we're glad you're here. Uh, the President has asked me uh, to pray, for you to pray with him and for Dr. Phillips over the next few days. They are leaving early in the morning to head to Trinidad. Uh, they are going to be teaching and facilitating and listening and helping the Caribbean Nazarene uh, College there. Uh, they will uh, return on Monday and uh, both Dr. Phillips and Dr. Graves would appreciate your prayers while they're gone. It's an opportunity for us as a college to help minister to the greater world and that's why we're here so uh, you'll pray for them all in favor say aye. aye okay just making sure would you stand let's pray and then Dr. Milhoff will minister to us you invite us to attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ and you make that possible you invite us to follow your lead and to obey your will, to walk in your steps, to say yes to whatever it is that you ask of us, and you make it possible. You've given us the privilege of sharing this time and space with God-called men and women, our brothers and sisters, who are here for your sake and the sake of the kingdom. And you've given us the privilege of sharing um, this room with, with Chuck, with Dr. Milhoff. And we thank you for the way that you have worked in and through his life. And we pray now that your spirit who is, at all, who is already at work in us uh, will bear witness uh, to us 
through your word, through your servant. And we pray too for the journey and for the task that lies before Dr. Graves and Dr. Phillips. Be honored by what they do, encourage and infuse their bodies with your strength and their minds with your discernment for your sake. We look forward to hearing all that you're doing there in the same way that we anticipate all that you will do here. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, about Dr. Chuck Milhuff. I was a junior in high school in, uh, living in Clarksville, Tennessee. My father was the district NYPS president for the Tennessee district. Mm -hmm. And we all went to Memphis for our NYPS convention. A young dynamic evangelist was a speaker at that convention. That was my first introduction to Dr. Chuck Milhuff. That day, God touched my heart, along with many of the young people there. The altar was full to overflowing, and uh, many of us settled, settled things with God at that time in our life. And through the years, uh, Dr. Milhuff has been to churches that my dad pastored. When I became a pastor, I was privileged to have him as an evangelist in my church and for my children to sit under his ministry during that time was one of the wonderful uh, uh, journeys that we experienced together in, in our faith. So I pray that you open your heart to Dr. Milhuff tonight. I'm glad that you're getting to hear him. I, I think it's important that we hear uh, the voices of those whom God has used through the years in the Church of the Nazarene and in the larger Church of Christ. Welcome, Dr. Miller. Thank you, Dr. Graves, or as I know you, as Harold Jr. His dad is one of the best friends I've ever had. His mother is as well. His brother is my pastor at the College Church in Olathe. And it is a great honor to be here with your chaplain, who I have an immense respect for, and uh, to see others that I could mention, but the time is limited. Thank you very much for having me to your chapel and to see the school in a growth mode. And I thank you very much. My twin brother is uh, an online student after finishing 40-some years as a uh, as an accountant with uh, General Mills, he uh, retired, felt called to work as a chaplain in one of the most difficult uh, hospitals in the, in the world, the Cook County Hospital in Chicago. And he goes and he prays with the, really the, um, the most difficult AIDS patients criminals chained to the bed and uh, and got the idea that he have, was being called in a more official way and now is a district licensed minister and zooming through these courses as fast as he can go thank you Nazarene Bible College for what you're doing for my twin brother and I am so thankful for all of that 
I was uh, lying in bed. I had been up very late the night before. And uh, I got a telephone call that awakened me. It was my very close friend, General Superintendent Thomas Johnson, who was at the Kansas City Airport. And he said, do you have your television on? I said, no. He said, well, turn it on immediately. I did, and I have no idea uh, what station it was on, probably Fox News Station, which I had watched before I had gone to bed. And there I saw a, uh, a burning tower in New York, which I immediately recognized as one of the Twin Towers. He said, that plane just flew in there. They don't know what the deal is. And I said, Talmadge, it looks like there's another plane coming around behind, flying right at it as well. And this is not a Piper Cub. This is a major, big airliner. And sure enough, in a moment, that uh, plane crashed into the second tower. And we have now what we know as 9-11. How many of you that are here right now remember exactly where you were when you first heard about the 9-11 tragedy? Put your hand up. I'm not surprised. Hold that thought. I want to read to you a, a lengthy portion of scripture that is a very interesting story. It's found in the book of Exodus. Chapter 3, verse 1. It's about another very famous fire. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was leading the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him, from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the, the misery of my people in Egypt. I, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. 
So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what will I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hevites, and the Jebusites, a, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the e Egypt will not let you go. The king of Egypt will not let you go uh, unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people so that when you leave, you will not go away empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. Moses answered, well, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that you may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, it was leprous, like snow. 
Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back uh, into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to you, the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, uh, from the river will become blood all over the ground. Well, Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I, I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I'll help you speak, and you'll teach, and I'll teach you what to say. But Moses said, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak, and you will, he will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth, and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand, so you can perform miraculous signs with it. That staff was to become a very integral part of the Egyptian terror that was to strike eventually into the heart of Pharaoh and all the Egyptians. It was to be a very integral part of the release of God's people from Egyptian bondage. It was that staff that was used to divide the Sea of Red and allow them to go across that sea. Now, Moses had several unbelievable reminders of the fact that God had called him to do this. When you read this story, this lengthy reading, you read about a burning bush that's not burning. I mean, you read about a stick that becomes a snake and then again becomes a stick. You read about a man who's coming who is his own brother, who God tells him, I'll allow him to speak for you, and he will become my mouth for you. But you know, by about that time, Moses was getting it into his head that all of this was of God, and that all of this was very supernatural. I've been an evangelist for a long time. And I will tell you that when I became sanctified entirely to the will of God, from my will to God's will, 
I accepted that call that I had received when I was seven years of age. I was at Olivet Nazarene College, as it was then called, and uh, I started preaching. I couldn't stop preaching. I, I would preach to a cat if it would sit still. <laughs> I just had this fire in my belly to preach. And I started preaching. My first revival was in a farmhouse in Owensville, Missouri. We had crowds. I mean, we had crowds. I think we had seven one night. And I came home feeling like Billy Graham and everybody else that had ever tried to do this work. And so one thing led to another. And one revival led to another revival. Until by the time I was a graduate there at Olivet, I was going to faraway churches and flying. By the time I came to seminary the next year, I was a pretty full-time evangelist. We never had Monday classes at the seminary in those days, so I could go off on a weekend. And uh, The dean of the seminary, Dr. Mendel Taylor, was kind about letting me leave early on Fridays often. I could catch an airplane. And I, I was preaching. And uh, I can remember, though, how in the, the college days, about my sophomore year, I, I wasn't sure about this. I, I didn't understand this gift that was coming out of me. In fact, I, I was just a kid off the streets of the south side of Chicago. I, I, I did have, and still do have, very profound dyslexia. Um, it was hard for me to read all of that to you. I made some mistakes. It's a wonder I didn't make a whole lot more because the words are jumbled to me. Any three or four letter word, I look at it and it's backward. So it took me longer. I, I, I was not college material. I was not seminary material. But I finally went on and just pressed on. In fact, I have an earned doctorate now from our seminary. And I will tell you this, that I remember with my good friend Paul Cunningham, who is now one of our esteemed general superintendents, and who I grew up with in Chicago. Went to college because he encouraged me to go, though I didn't know how I would do it. And let me tell you frankly, I, I have been through uh, eight, eight years of grade school in Chicago, four years of high school in Chicago, uh, four years of college, three years of seminary, and three years of an earned doctorate, and I didn't really like any of it. <laughs> uh, a school, school is not about liking it. Now there, there are those that carry peach boxes full of books home every night, and they just can't wait uh, to get to them. And, uh, and I, I, I thank God for people. I know people like that. I had friends like that. They're still my friends. Um, <laughs> but I will tell you as a matter of fact that it was all very hard for me. School is not about liking it. School is about doing what God is asking you to do to get from where you are to where you want to be. It's the bridge from where you are to where you want to be. It's the way of not working at Burger King for the rest of your life. 
Though I like Burger King a lot. <laughs> now, I remember going out with Paul in his car along the Kankakee River. I was sitting with him looking at the river. And I, and I said to Paul, Paul, now, now, now do, you, do you think that, that I'm going to be an evangelist? I mean, I'm doing this so much now. And Paul said to me, I'll never forget it. He said, well, you know, Chuck, you, you really look like an evangelist. <laughs> you, you dress like an evangelist. You act like an evangelist. You have the heart of an evangelist. You, um, you, you, you act like an evangelist. The, the chances are you are an evangelist. And that day on the Kankakee River sitting in his car, something happened inside of me. And I knew that I knew that I knew this was not what God had called me to. But on that day on the Kankakee River, I discovered what I was. You see, you were born something. And God doesn't so much call you to it as at a certain point in your submission to the will of God, you discover what you are. And that's why this school is here. To create an atmosphere in which you can discover God's perfect will for your life. Now, have there been hard times? Yes. Yes, there have been some very difficult times. As, as a matter of fact, I, um, I've had some very serious emotional problems. I'm what's called uh, TRD, treatment-resistant depression. I take a lot of medicine. I couldn't even be here today if it wasn't for the medications, the, the, the psychotropic medications that I'm given by a psychiatrist. You say, well, aren't you afraid that admitting such a thing would damage your career? No. Because you see, God is in control of my career. And God is helping me. But I have turned my face to the wall many times in a motel room and I have wept because of the pain. Which did in no way change what I was. And I would just go that night and preach. And then I would go and get on an airplane and, and go somewhere and get off and go and preach. Someone said to me at the golf tournament yesterday, well, are, are you about to retire? And I said, no, what would I do? <laughs> this is what I am. I mean, there's a good chance I'll preach my own funeral. <laughs> but what have I done in those moments? I've gone back to the Kankakee River, to Paul's car, to the moment that I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that this is what I was. 
Or in the case of Moses, back to his burning bush. Back to a stick becoming a snake, for heaven's sakes. For a snake becoming a stick again. To a leprous hand becoming clean and leprous and clean. And so I say to all of you tonight, this is my message to you. Trust your great moments. Go back to where they were. Trust your great moments. Now this scripture when I was given it by Alan, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I've preached many sermons on the, on the, on, on, on the width and the length and the depth and the height of God's love. But when I got to this part of it, I, I have never preached a sermon on that because it is such a massive verse. But if it means anything, the fullness of Christ is simply being who you really are. And in the midst of that, often, <laughs> you'll have to trust your great moments. Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, how I thank you tonight for these wonderful people that are here. Every one of us, Dr. Graves included, Dr. Haynes included. We, we never get so old that, that Satan doesn't come along and say, what do you think you're doing? Where do you think you are? And in those moments, we go back to the burning bush. We go back to the stick, the snake, the stick. We go back to the hand, the leprosy, the hand. We go back to those that God has provided, as God provided Dr. Cunningham for me in a car, like Aaron. And we trust those great moments. Lord, I doubt there's a single person in this room who isn't here because somebody or several somebodies helped make it possible in the most realistic spiritual sense. Help us to leave now trusting not only in God, but in the God who created those remarkable moments. Amen. For, for Dr. Milhoff and Gary Go, Laurel, come here just Dr. Matson, come here just a second. Um, last year, as you know, the first week of October is 24-7 prayer week for us. We're preparing for that now. We're calling all the churches across the U.S. And out of that, there, there, there came a burden to pray for revival in the Church of the Nazarene yes, and to pray for our evangelist. And uh, let me ask you, does that make a difference? Yes, you, you have no idea what it has meant to our evangelists to know that this school is praying for all of us. 
this is an uh, this is an unprecedented thing to have been done by any of our schools and this man here has a love for the evangelist as does this man and I can't tell you I can't tell you Dr. Matson. I can't tell you what it means to know that there are people like you now I can put a face to all this helping us interceding for us God knows we need it thank you what I would like to do tonight is I'd like for Dr. Haynes and Dr. Milhuff just to come and stand in the front of the altar here and I'd like for us to gather around them and I'm going to ask Dr. Matson if he would um, I, you know the sacrifices that our evangelists make the call that God has placed on them away from home night after night and I can tell you the glamour of it wears off about the second week it really does and God knows we need a revival in this country that we live in God is doing things around the world that is just mind-boggling the uh, the, the Horn of Africa is experiencing the Book of Acts as we've heard reported. Uh, Dr. Adding and I just left a prayer meeting at First Church and uh, praying for revival, praying for revival. And God knows we need revival. And I want our student body and faculty to gather around these men who represent, how many evangelists do we have, Dr. Milhoff, do you know? almost 700 evangelists in the Church of the Nazarene. These two men are leaders among those 700. They're leaders. When we lay hands on them by the power of God Almighty, we're touching those 700 tonight with our prayers. I want you to lead us in a prayer. Would you? Before I pray, <clears throat> I would just like to say that that week of 24-7 prayer, 168 hours of prayer. Uh, we have about 80 of those hours filled, meaning we still have 80 plus to fill. I would encourage you to sign up. There's a sign-up sheet right out here. There's one in the library. There's one in the entry area, the lobby area of the administration building. And if you would like to be part of the group of students who prays every single week for all of our evangelists where they are. If you will send me your email address, I will put you on the list. And every weekend, I will send you a list of the evangelist schedules as we have it, as we know where they are, so that the coming week you can be praying for these men and women and the churches that they will be serving. I'd like to have a uh, hundred plus of our students uh, praying weekly, and I really do need your help to do that. Let's pray together. Lord, we are moved tonight by the message that challenges us, us again to be what we are. And Lord, I thank you tonight for the fact that 
Gary and Chuck are evangelists. And Lord, I was uh, thinking back tonight as Dr. Graves talked about the time that he first heard Chuck Milhoff. And I remember as a junior in college hearing Chuck for the very first time. I remember a couple of years later, God, as I heard him in a teen camp on the Rocky Mountain District where he made that tabernacle come alive and in my mind's eye it still is the place of the feast where you wrote on the wall, Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. God, I have personally been touched by the ministry of these two men down through the years. And then as I think of the hundreds of others across this land tonight, and God, I have looked this week at the schedule, and I know that this is the time when those churches that are having revivals are beginning to have revivals in the fall. And we know, God, that there are dozens of places across this nation tonight where our evangelists are standing in the pulpit and are proclaiming the Word of God. And we have been receiving prayer requests from the telephone calls that are made. And, and we're hearing and we're seeing that pastors are saying, saying, please pray for our church as this evangelist or that evangelist comes. Please keep us in mind. And God, I would just pray that you would move across this campus in a dynamic way and put us all under a burden to pray. Put us, God, under a burden where we would cry out to you and say, oh God, send revival on this nation. God, every day if we have chosen to follow that path, as our alarm clock goes off at 12:12, help us to pray for the college, but help us also, God, to pray for the evangelists, pray for the churches, pray for our great Zion, pray for revival across our land that would go across denominational lines, that would spread a fire that would be far greater than whether we are political conservatives or liberals, but that we might be one at the foot of the cross and that you would draw us, God, to a burning bush. Bring this nation, God, to you. And use these wonderful men and women who are so committed to your will. Bless them. Bless their families, God. We think of the families, the wives and the kids that so many, many weeks stay home while dad or mom is out there uh, being a revivalist trying to preach in a way that would bring the power of the Holy Spirit to bear. We know, God, that for many, many of those individuals, it's a lonely, lonely life. And I just pray, God, that you would pour out a double portion of your Spirit on the men and women who have given their lives to this call of who they are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, I pray. Amen. And amen. Thank you so much. I'll live for him who died for me. How happy then my
Amen. Amen. Praise His holy name. I pray the peace of Christ upon you all. Amen. Amen. Your studies. God bless you. Bless the Lord. God bless you.